Hello and welcome to Full Armor Radio. I'm your host, John O'Rourke. It's always good to be back with you. Doing another podcast today on apologetics, on presuppositional apologetics, um, as we have been for uh, quite a while now. We've been going through a bunch of different issues related to presup apologetics. And today, we're going to continue on in our critiques of the traditional evidentialist arguments. Um, contrasting them with presuppositionalism. We've already covered the cosmological argument, which is an evidentialist argument um, based upon causation. It's an argument from cause and effect that we observe in the universe, and arguing all the way back to the first cause, which they call God. That is um, an evidentialist argument that um, I've critiqued in a previous podcast. You can go check that out. We've also critiqued the evidentialist argument, the the ontological argument, which deals with the being of God, of um, who God is by definition, the greatest conceivable being, and as the argument goes, a God that exists is greater than a God that doesn't, Um, and we've critiqued that argument as well. Now, today we're going to cover the teleological argument. And the teleological argument is the argument from design. And we'll get, get into that in a minute. But first, I just want to you know, emphasize, I, you know, here I am, I'm a presuppositional apologist, I'm a Christian. I'm not trying to, um, in a spirit of malice or anything like that, put down evidentialists, um, Christian brothers who, who are arguing in an evidentialist fashion. But what I am trying to point out is the faults of evidentialist arguments, um, the ones that we've looked at and the ones we will continue to look at in this podcast and in the next. There are, there are evidentialist arguments that fail um, in a number of ways. And I think first and foremost and most importantly, they fail in being faithful to God and to his word. I think the arguments in and of themselves um, fail to be consistently Christian throughout. And the reason I say that is because none of these three arguments, the cosmological, ontological, or teleological arguments, none of them argue for the Christian God in particular. You'll notice in the conclusion of these arguments, all you get is that a God exists. You get some sort of ambiguous theism, but you don't get Christian theism. You don't get Christianity necessarily from these arguments. And that, to me, is a non-starter already. I'm not trying to argue for a God. I'm trying to argue for the Christian God and the Christian worldview. So that's, I think, one way that these arguments really fail. Um, secondarily, um, I think these, um, these arguments fail in that they really think that the unbeliever has autonomous reasoning on, on the foundation of the unbeliever's worldview, that the unbeliever doesn't have to presuppose God in order to actually and truly um, reason or to have knowledge in his own worldview. In other words, evidentialists really tend to think that, that data, information, that it's all um, understandable really upon the foundation of any worldview. That if I present an unbeliever with enough data, enough information, then upon his own worldview, his own reasoning, which is in- independent, it's autonomous from the Christian worldview, from God, that upon the unbeliever's own thinking in his own worldview, 
that he can come to the right conclusion about God simply based upon his own reasoning. In other words, to make it basic, it's saying that the unbeliever's own reasoning is the ultimate standard for knowledge. The, thing, the problem with that is that that's not what the Christian worldview's position is on the ultimate standard of knowledge. Christians believe that God's word is the ultimate standard. In fact, that's what the Bible teaches about itself. Um, it teaches that about God, about, about Christ. In Colossians 2, it says all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. So there's a problem there, I think, again, with consistency is that who's the ultimate authority? Is it the unbeliever's reasoning or is it God's word? In presuppositionalism, we're saying if you don't recognize God's word as the ultimate authority, then your worldview is reduced to absurdity because you can't make sense out of anything. You can't make sense out of ethics or logic or science or, your, or how you can know any fact whatsoever unless you presuppose God's word. That's not to say that unbelievers don't know things. They do, but if their worldview were true, if the unbelievers' worldview were true, hypothetically, then they wouldn't be able to know anything. But the fact of the matter is the unbeliever in reality is living in the Christian God's world and therefore he is able to know things based because he's made in God's image and um, all of that. But the unbeliever cannot, upon his own belief system, his own worldview, um, actually make sense of how he can know anything. So he's reduced to absurdity. Now, this is not the time to go into the details of presuppositionalism. You can check out previous podcasts I've done to get a little more on that. Also, some lectures that I've done um, as well. I did a conference um, in February um, on on presuppositional apologetics up in the Chicago area. That's um, that's on YouTube. You can check that out. So, um, but thirdly. Um, the reason that these, these evidentialist arguments need to be criticized, besides that they don't argue for the Christian God and that they are really putting man's reasoning as the ultimate authority when it comes to these debates. And thirdly, the, the, the logic of the arguments themselves is faulty. There are fallacies, there are errors in reasoning um, in these arguments themselves, and, and we cannot do that. Christians are not allowed to just make bad arguments and, um, and expect people to believe them. That's super inconsistent, unfair, something that's really not honoring to God. We are supposed to be consistent. Um, and that's why I have an issue with these arguments as well, is because they're not rationally sound. So let's go ahead and, and get, into, um, get into the issues here. Let's look at the teleological argument. Teleological argument, again, just like in the other evidentialist arguments, the, this type of argument can be worded in various ways. There's not just one way to talk about the teleological argument. Teleological arguments are based around the, the issue of design, uh, and that's how we're going to do it. So I'm, I'm going to talk about um, a version of a teleological argument. All teleological, all teleological arguments are based around this theme of design. So let, let's look at it here. Let me pull it up. So we have here... In this box here, I have, I have a teleological argument put out. Everything we observe has the appearance of design. Things that are designed always have a designer. Therefore, God exists as the designer or, or the creator. So the argument's rather simple. It's like everywhere you look, you see this appearance of design. There's intricacy to the world. There's orderliness to the world. The planets move. 
you know, in an orderly fashion and you have um, life cycles on Earth, you have amazing things like photosynthesis and plants. You have a lot of really well working things that work so well in this world and everything just appears to be designed, has a lot of order to it. And they say, and since everything that we know, you know, that has an appearance of design, you know, everything that is designed um, has a designer, well, and therefore this universe has a designer, and that's God. Okay, so the proponents of this argument will give this classic example, the watchmaker example, is that you have a man, right, and he's walking on the beach, or he's walking through the woods or whatever, and he finds a, a watch, an old type of watch, you know, an analog type of watch where it has all these intricate gears and uh, the, the hands and move in time and the, and the second hand. And everything is, is so intricately ordered to work so well. And the man concludes from this, well, look at this intricately designed thing. There must be a designer somewhere, a watchmaker somewhere. That this, the existence of this watch, this orderly designed watch proves the existence of a watch designer, a watchmaker. And that's the analogy for, look at the orderliness of the universe, there must be a universe designer, namely God. So that's the argument. And it's an argument that, no doubt, you've probably heard before. It's very, very, very common. This and the cosmological argument um, are really used a lot and kind of sometimes they, they intertwine. People will use them in such a way where they're kind of melded together. So let's go ahead and start criticizing this this argument. What are the problems with the teleological arguments? Well, firstly, as I've said before, the, the argument does not argue for the Christian God, but only some ambiguous deity, some some nondescript deity that, that's intelligent and a designer, but not necessarily the, the Christian God, right? The conclusion up here does not say, therefore, the Christian God exists. In fact, it would be even worse of an argument if it did, because the premises do not prove the Christian worldview necessarily. So the first problem with this argument is that it's not Christian apologetics necessarily. It is simply some theistic um, argument. Secondly, this argument does not argue that there's necessarily one God or one designer. Conceivably, based upon this argument alone, there could be multiple designers. A designer for animals, a designer for plants, a designer for this, a designer for that. There's nothing in the argument that, that would limit it to monotheism, to believing in one God. And of course, if you're a Christian, you're not trying to argue for uh, a polytheism, a, a, multi, a, multiple, a multiplicity of gods. Um, you're arguing for one God, and you should be arguing for the Christian God alone. All right, thirdly, and here's where we get more into the, into the nitty-gritty of the argument. Um, we can, it's true, that we can, for certain things, like watches in that analogy, see that they are designed. We can observe that. We can observe the watchmaker in his shop making the watch, right? So we see the watch and we say, yeah, I know this is designed. And I can go check out in the back room of the shop and see the guy designing the watch and putting all the gears in its place. But see, we, we can see the design process for watches, but we can't see the design process for everything we observe, right? When we look at a tree, we don't see the designer in the back room designing a tree. You see, so the analogy is not, is not perfect. Um, and in fact, I believe it's a false analogy to say, well, look, watches are designed, 
the existence of a watch, look how intricate it is. That demonstrates a designer. Look at a tree. It's also very intricate. There must be a designer for trees as well. Say, wait a second. I know that there are designers for watches because I can go in the back room in the shop and, and see the watchmaker making it. But for trees, there, there's no such ability. We can't go in the back room and watch the tree designer, right? So they're not exactly the same. Naturally occurring things are not the same as man-made things. When you see a watch or you see an automobile, you can go and see these things being made, but not so with animals and plants and stars and things like that, right? You can't go in the back room or in the factory and see these things being made. So although some things in our experience are definitely designed, like watches, right? We cannot argue from instances like that, that all things that exist are designed without first having a predisposition towards believing in a designer. This is how... Um, uh, David Hume, the atheist philosopher, argued. He says, the only reason that that teleological argument works, it only works for people who have a predisposition to believe in some sort of God. Because otherwise, you may come up with some other uh, explanation for why there's orderliness in the universe, right? So just because we see watches and cars and things like that are designed doesn't mean that um, everything is designed. So the fallacy here is called hasty generalization. And I think that based upon this argument alone, you really could be charged with this from an unbeliever. He'd say you're making a hasty generalization. And what that means is you're taking just a few instances, a few examples, and then drawing a broad conclusion from it. You're taking a couple you know, statistical points and then making a generalization. It's a generalization that's... that's um, concluded too hastily, ergo a hasty generalization. So you see one or two things, like for example, oh, there's a guy, um, I'm driving down the road and a guy with a Texas license plate cuts me off, right? And I say, what, what's wrong with those Texas drivers, right? I got one example of a guy who's driving poorly and now I've just said that all Texans are bad drivers, right? It's a, certainly a hasty generalization to, for one example to draw the conclusion that all Texans are bad drivers. Same thing, same type of thing here is that you say, well, you see certain things, typically like man-made things like watches and automobiles and things like that, and then you draw the conclusion that everything that exists is designed, even though you're only drawing from a small sample size, that is, things that are made by men that you can observe them designing. So there's a problem there. I think that you could rightfully be criticized for as a, a as committing the hasty generalization fallacy. So um, the Christian is assuming that the universe is designed, even though he has not observed that everything is designed. Right. So you can observe that watches are designed, but you haven't observed that everything is designed because you can't see the guy in the back room designing it. Okay. So. An atheist, for example, like David Hume, might respond to the teleological argument and say, the reason that there's orderliness in the universe is not because there's a designer of the universe, but because the most, the, um, the most basic laws of nature account for the orderliness of the universe. For example, the laws of physics account for why the planets move the way that they do and why the earth revolves around the sun and, and things of that nature. So it's just the most, the reason is because the laws of nature, the most basic governing principles of the universe are these laws of nature. Okay. So you're going to have, I have here a hypothetical dialogue between a Christian and an atheist about this issue. Okay. So if the atheist says, 
um, in response to the teleological argument. He says, no, it's not God who designs. It's the, the um, laws of nature that give the appearance of design, that give orderliness to this world. The Christian may respond like this, and this is the back and forth. And what I'm going to show here is that um, the, the Christian here, when arguing down this whole of the teleological argument, ends up committing some fallacies um, that we need to avoid. And again, another reason why I think the teleological argument should be left behind and we should do presuppositional apologetics. So here's how a conversation might go. The Christian might respond to the atheist and say, well, what causes the laws of physics to be orderly? You see, if the atheist says, well, the laws of physics make everything orderly, the Christian asks him to go back to that, to that step and say, well, what makes those laws of physics, you know, function in an orderly fashion? The atheist may respond, the laws of physics are the most basic things in the universe. They're not caused. They are the basic things that order the universe. And what he, what he means by that is you can't go further back than the laws of physics. They're the most basic, the most fundamental, okay? The most basic things in the universe. They're not caused. They're the things that cause the orderliness, okay? The Christian may respond to that and say, well, doesn't it seem rather arbitrary or you're not having a reason to stop at the laws of physics? If we're going to examine things as being orderly, we can't just live up or we can't just give up at the laws of physics. We have to give an explanation for why the laws of physics are, or, are orderly. We have to continue going further back to each time asking, well, what makes this orderly? And then you give an answer to that and you have to ask the question again, what makes this next thing orderly? Until so we get back all the way. The Christian's saying, you can't stop at the laws of physics. That's not reasonable. So the atheist may respond and say, okay, what do you think makes the laws of nature function in an orderly way? Okay, so the, so the atheist says, well, what, what do you think makes the laws of nature so orderly? The Christian says, well, God created the laws of nature and, and uh, God causes them to act that way. What's the atheist say? Well, what causes God? What gives God order, right? What gives God design? And the Christian would say, well, well, nothing causes God, right? That's what the Christian worldview teaches. Nothing causes God. He's not designed. He's not created. The chain of things being ordered or designed stops with God, the Christian is going to say. That's, that's the most basic thing. The most basic being is God. You can't go back a step further. We see the problem with that, maybe. Here, here's, here's what the sharp atheist would say. So you're saying that I'm not allowed to stop the chain of design at the laws of physics, because that's what the atheist wants to do. He says the laws of physics or laws of nature are the most basic things. So I'm not allowed to stop there, but you, Christian, are allowed to stop the chain of design at God. Even though you said that we have to keep going back further and further and further to find the design or the orderly orderliness of all things. And he says that's special pleading and is arbitrary. And let me explain that. Special pleading is a fallacy um, of having a double standard. So the Christian says, you can't stop at the laws of physics because that's arbitrary. But I can stop at God arbitrarily, right? The atheist is saying, what's the difference? Why can't I stop at laws of physics if you can stop at God, right? If I'm saying laws of physics are not designed, they're the most basic things, you're just saying, well, no, God's the most basic thing. This is arbitrary, saying you're just picking and choosing without any reason, right? So it is, it is special pleading for the Christian to say, you have to stop at, uh, you can't stop at laws of physics, but I can stop at God. That, that's, that's a double standard. It's arbitrary. It, it, there's not a reason given for why the atheist can't just say, well, the laws of physics, because 
You know, why not? So that's, the, that's part of the issue here is that there's fallacious reasoning, special pleading, double standard, there's arbitrariness when the Christian's trying to force the atheist to go back further and further and further and saying that he can never stop until he gets to God. Well, why not, right? Why can't he stop then? If, if we're not going to go further than God, then why can't he stop earlier and just say there is no God, this is as far as back as it goes, right? The, the argument fails to prove its point um, right here. It fails to prove that, um, that there must be supernatural designer God. Um, their argument by itself doesn't actually bring forth that conclusion. All right, and fourthly, and this is probably the easiest thing to understand about this, is that the problem with the teleological argument is that ultimately, whether you find something to be designed or not is going to depend upon your worldview. Whether you um, interpret something as um, designed is going to depend upon your worldview. So if you believe in God and you see the intricacy of the human eye and the um, orderliness of the planets and things like that, you are going to say, well, God's the designer because that's your worldview. That's true. In a Christian worldview, God is the designer. But when the unbeliever looks at the, the world, the intricacy of the human eye and the motion of the planets and things of that, like that, he'll say, wow, isn't it interesting how so many things work together to form a functioning world? The world is amazing, or the laws of nature are amazing, or physics is pretty cool. He's going to attribute um, something else to the orderliness besides God, because his worldview already precludes the existence of God. So, the unbeliever is already suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, Romans 1 teaches us. And basically, when you present him with data, information, hey, look at the human eye, look at the motion of the planets, look at photosynthesis, look at this, look at that, look at that. I'll say, yeah, that's all really cool, and let me give you my worldview's explanation for it. Right? He's going to interpret it through his worldview lens. See, the teleological argument, the design argument, is not a strong argument with the unbeliever because ultimately it appeals to the unbeliever's autonomous reasoning as he interprets physical evidences. The unbeliever will simply try to interpret those evidences in a way that is consistent with his own worldview. So this is the main problem between, you know, or main point of contention between evidentialists and presuppositionalists, as I don't believe that evidentialists take this point very seriously. That worldviews determine your beliefs. So, for example, this is a very common Christian evidence. They'd say, a Christian might say, the earth is, you know, so many miles away from the sun that if we're any closer, we would burn up. If we're any further away, we'd freeze to death. So there has to be some intelligent designer who wisely orders the earth to sustain life. Christians use this for the evidence of, for God. Um, again, all, all it would prove is a God, um, not the Christian God necessarily. But the unbeliever simply will say upon his own worldview and his own presuppositions, he'll say, yeah, the laws of physics are pretty amazing. You know, um, He'll interpret it some way that doesn't have God as the explanation. He's going to employ his own worldview and find some way to interpret the, the data to fit in the best he can with his worldview. Right? And you're going to go back and forth forever. Um, because even if the um, even if the data doesn't fit well with his worldview, he'll he'll deploy what we call a rescuing device. He'll find some way to um, try to make it fit in. You know, for example, there's the issue of comets, right? Comets, comets in space. You know, they have comet tails, and what the tails are is all this debris from the rock 
breaking off the back. So basically what's happening is the thing is breaking up as it, as it flies across space. So eventually comets burn out because all, of, all the debris breaks up and it just kind of poofs apart. And so what that would mean is that if the universe was really as old as Darwinists say, then there shouldn't be any comets floating around at all, right? Because they all would have long ago broken up and we wouldn't see any comets at all. That's, that's, a, that's a piece of information that seems pretty compelling. But how does, the, how does the guy respond upon his own worldview? He says, well, there must be some sort of thing out there that generates new comets. Called an, they call it the Oort cloud. And it's this thing that, that pushes out new comets, and that's how we have comets. Now, do we, have we observed the Oort cloud? No. But you can't prove it doesn't exist, right? Um, it's like, well, there must be, because that's the only explanation from that worldview. They say, well, there must, there's, a, there's the explanation. There's just something we can't see that is pushing out these new, uh, new comets. Okay. Um, there's always a rescuing device. If the data doesn't seem to fit with your worldview, come up with some way that it, that it will, because you have, you're going to interpret it through your worldview. So we need something more than simply appealing to physical evidences because the unbeliever will always interpret the physical evidences through their own worldview lens. So let's think about this. Let's look at, some, let's look at one example here in Scripture. Let me pull this up from Acts chapter 14. Um, in, in Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas are preaching and doing miracles. And here Paul heals a man. So look at Acts 14, 8. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had, his, when he had fixed his gaze on him and had, seen what he had, had seen that he had the faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lycaonian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. They began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you, and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made these heavens and the earth, made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. And then generations gone by, he permitted all nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness. And what he did good, he gave you and that he did good and gave you rains from heavens and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even saying these things, the difficulty they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. So you have here, Paul does this miracle, and he's doing it in front of these polytheistic Greeks who believe in their Greek gods, you know, Zeus and Hermes and those. And they say, when they see the miracles, they don't say, well, Paul, you're preaching Jesus. He must be the only true God and the Lord of all, the creator of heaven and earth. They repent of everything and change their whole worldview. No, they just interpret these things in, in, through the lens of their polytheistic Greek worldview. They see, okay, well, these guys must be our gods. Come to us in the likeness of them. Um, Zeus and Hermes, right? These are, this is Zeus and Hermes, and they get their priest, and they try to offer sacrifices to these guys. You see, how a worldview determines your beliefs even in seeing miracles, they don't say, well, this is Jesus. They say, no, it's, it's our gods. It's our Greek gods. 
You see, it all comes down to worldviews, to getting down to that level of your you are unable to see things correctly or understand things correctly because your worldview is distorted. We have to show them that if you don't start with the Christian worldview, if you don't start with God's word and adopt the Christian worldview, then you're reduced to absurdity in all of your thinking. And that's just the, the thumbnail, the nutshell of the presuppositionalist approach. Again, this is not the time to, to go into presuppositionalism in detail as, as I do elsewhere. But I want you to see here, the teleological argument really just assumes that the unbeliever, by looking at you know, um, the intricacy of the human eye or you know, trees and photosynthesis and the motion of the planets, all this orderliness, that he's going to interpret that as being designed by God. But he's actually going to interpret that some other way, right? He can interpret it if he's a polytheist, you know, he might interpret it that it's his gods who did that. Well, that's not what you're aiming at, is it? An atheist might interpret it as, well, it's just the laws of physics. The laws of physics are just the most basic things. It's how the universe operates, right? You have to get down beneath all that. And that's the main issue with the teleological argument. So, in sum, teleological argument does not argue for the Christian God in particular. It does not necessarily argue that there's one God. It, it's, um, it arbitrarily asks the unbeliever to keep going further and further back, even though the Christian will not do that when, once they stop at God. So there's double standards, special pleading. And finally, teleological argument, the people who put them forth don't take seriously the fact that worldviews determine beliefs. and You're going to interpret data, you're going to interpret information through your worldview. Um, if you don't have a Christian worldview, you're going to distort that information and interpret it incorrectly. So we need to get down and show them that the worldview is the problem. Their unbelieving worldview is foolish. As 1 Corinthians one twenty says, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And that's what, uh, what we are aiming at with presuppositionalism. So I hope this one was helpful to you. Um, I hope that uh, you see some of the issues with the teleological type arguments. Um, if you want to learn more about presuppositionalism, check out the YouTube channel or um, wherever you get podcasts. Um, I have lectures and other podcasts on apologetics, and there will be more coming forward your way in time to come. So again, thank you for watching and for listening. I'm John O'Rourke, Full Armor Radio. God bless you.